highest of heights to the depths of the sea. What she is saying to him, are you going to kill me? And, you're, and, and pretty soon you're going to die too. Remember that, Yehu. You're coming after me, but your day is coming very shortly. So what she's doing is taunting him by calling him, uh, impersonating Zimri and calling him Zimri because of what Zimri had done and the horrible things that he did. Every creature's unique in a song that it sings All exclaiming Indescribable, uncontainable You place the stars in the sky And you know them by name You are amazing God All-powerful, untamable, awestruck Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. In our lesson today, Jezebel called Yehu Zimri after the man who assassinated King Baasha of Israel in chapter 16 of 1 Kings. Zimri was also the servant of Baasha and a commander in his army. It was her way of calling Yehu a despicable rebel. By implication, Jezebel said, The dynasty of Amre will defeat you just like it defeated Zimri. Even though this seemed to be a confusing state at the time, we know that God is in control of these events, just like he is in the present events of today. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 9 in the book of Second Kings. It's my guy coming back. I'm going to go out and meet him. Hey, Ahaziah, come with me and we'll go out in chariots and we'll meet him and find out, you know, there's something going on. I want to hear that news as quickly as possible. So they, they, they go out there. Um, so then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Yehu, and they met him on the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. Does that ring a bell? Remember in 1 Kings chapter 21, who was it? Whose plot of land was Ahab so excited about and wouldn't sell the land to him? It was Naboth the Jezreelite, and he's the guy who got killed, and Jezebel had him killed, and so now... Yehu is coming back and meeting him at that same plot of land. Something is happening. Something God is orchestrating and working things. Pretty interesting. And they went out to meet Yehu and met him on the property of Naboth, a Jezreelite. Now it happened when Joram saw Yehu that he said to him, Is it peace, Yehu? In other words, is there peace at Ramoth Gilead? Have you guys been successful? At Re- Did you get it back from you know, the king of Syria? Did you win the battle? What happened? And so he answered, What peace? As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. <gasps> Uh-oh. You can see Joram, just the, sh- the pink in his face just went all to his feet. And now he's thinking to himself, Now I know why he was in such a furious rush to get here. Because I'm his target. And so what does he do? Then Jehoram turned around and he fled. And, and remember, this king who was already wounded, he has enough energy to get in the chariot to go out in the field and meet him at this plot of land. He, he doesn't even have his armor on, right? Because he's not going out to battle. 
He's meeting his own guys coming in. So he, has, he doesn't even have his breastplate on, nothing. He's going out there with just his you know, you know, House of Guitars t-shirt. And he goes out there. <laughs> I have to do that because I want to make sure you guys are paying attention. So Joram turned and fled, and he said to Ahaziah, Treachery, Ahaziah! So he's trying to save this king of Judah, saying, Get out of here. You know, you better flee because I'm fleeing. So Joram uh, drew his bow. And so Joram is taking off in his chariot. And Jehu, Yehu, excuse me, drew his bow with full strength. And he shot Jehoram between his arms. And the arrow come out, came out at his heart. So he shot him from the back, right on the left side of him. And the arrow came right out this side. The whole thing. He just shot him straight through with an arrow. And... Um, and the arrow came out of his heart, and he sank down in his chariot. And uh, then Yehu said to Bidkar, his captain, Pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. And what is he doing by doing that? Fulfilling prophecy. He's doing exactly, he's, he's at least, uh, now I'm not saying that Yehu was a, a great man or anything like that. I'm not you know, condoning anything, but I am saying that he's doing what God had told him to do. And, um, and so he lays this man's, um, Jehoram's body in the plot of land because that's the, 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 the house of Ahab. Because Jehoram belonged to the house of Ahab. He says, do you remember when you and I were riding behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord had this burden upon him? And then he shares the burden. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons. And says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now therefore, take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. And so we learn a new piece of information here that we didn't learn earlier in Kings. And that is that Jezebel not only had Naboth killed, but she killed his sons. It wasn't enough just to kill the man, because once she killed the man, who does the property go to? The sons. But if you kill the sons, then the property goes back to Ahab, right? And so that's exactly what she did. And so they knew they were fulfilling this prophecy that God had spoken through Elijah. And again, I just want to reiterate that prophecy back in 1 Kings 21. The word came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him... Thus says the Lord, have you murdered and also take possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's exactly what happened. And that's exactly what happened. And Yehu knew that he was fulfilling that prophecy. But... The plot thickens because here's something that God didn't tell Yehu to do. Look at verse 27 in our text tonight. But when Ahaziah, so now they got Yehu, or now they got Jehoram, and now Yehu is going to go after Ahaziah, the king of Judah. Did God tell him to go after the king of Judah? He didn't, did he? He said, go after Ahab and his sons, Jehoram. Go after him and his sons and Jezebel. He didn't say anything about the southern tribes, the southern two. He didn't mention anything about them. 
But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the road to Beth Hagan. And so Jehu pursued him and said, Shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblaim. And then he fled to Megiddo and died there. And um, if you go to Israel with us sometime, Megiddo is, a, is an incredible place. And it's right there, you, you can see Megiddo from the, uh, the mountain where they had this square off with the 450 prophets of Baal. It's all in that Jezreel Valley, known as the Valley of Armageddon. When you're up on that mountain where, Je- where um, um, uh, Elijah was and he was facing off with the prophets of Baal, right down the hill there's a stream, the Kishon River, and then over to the other side, you see the Megiddo over there. And then there, today, there's an Israeli airfield out in the middle there. And the, the F-18s and whatever, they fly in, and they land, and then they disappear. <laughs> they go right underneath the... They have little conveyors that, go them, that bring them down underneath, and then they file them away. Yes, in the Valley of Jezreel, or in the Armageddon Valley, it's a hornet's nest under there. When those guys start coming out, they're like hornets. And you don't want to get stuck in that hornet raid there. So, so this is where it's happening. And so, but the killing of Ahaziah was not God's commission for this man. And his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem, and they buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. What is the city of David? It's Jerusalem, but even more specifically, Zion. Zion is in Jerusalem, of course, but it's a little sliver of land on the southwest or southeast corner, and you can visit it today. They've uncovered David's uh, palace and everything. It's really beautiful. So notice verse 29. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah had become the king over Judah. So this eleventh year of Joram was 841 B.C., because Joram reigned from 852 to 841 B.C. And now we come to the final section of our text tonight, and then we'll take communion together. And this is where God is basically going to make good on the oath that Jezebel had made. We first read about Jezebel. It says, Now, when Yehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel had heard of it, because now she's heard that, that Yehu has killed Jehoram, and she's also heard that God or that Yehu has killed Ahaziah. And so as he's entering in Jezreel, she's thinking, my time is up as well. And so what does she do? She goes in and sits before her vanity mirror, and she puts on makeup, eyeshadow, all the stuff, puts her hair up, gets all dressed in a queenly gown, and, and she's going to mock him as, as he comes in because she knows that her time is coming to a close, I believe. But we first read about Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 16. Um, You can read verse 30 and 33 of 1 Kings 16, and that really is where we are introduced to her, uh, of where her father was and the idolatry that her family was involved in. But she was an evil woman, and she ruled her husband. She was a staunch Baal worshiper. She had Naboth killed, the, 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 the Jezreelite gave the land to her husband, And she also threatened to kill Elijah because he killed 450 of her favorite um, uh, devil-worshipping prophets. God had them kill them. And so she's mad like a hornet wanting to come after him and kill him. And remember what she said. And God is going to see that it comes to pass. In 1 Kings 19, verse 2, 
when she found out that Elijah had killed her prophets, what did she say? Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I, do not, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And of course, as soon as Elijah hears this, what does he do? He stands up and says, huh, Go ahead. No, he runs. He runs for his life. And maybe we would do the same as well, but he runs, he tucks tail and runs down to Beersheba on the very southern part of Judah. And that's where God meets him. When he's running... But notice, she said, may, may the gods, lowercase g, do to me and more also if I don't have his head on a stick in my front yard tomorrow. That's basically what she's saying. And God would make sure that this evil woman got what was coming to her and fulfill this oath that she made against herself. In 1 Kings 21, we, we looked at the, the, the beginning part of that chapter, but in verse 23 of 1 Kings 21, God, through Elijah, pronounces judgment against Jezebel. What does he say? And he says, And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, and we actually read this before, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Because of her idolatries. And then verse 31, back in our text, it says, Then... As Yehu entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? And so she's speaking to Yehu, but she's calling him Zimri. And the reason she's doing this is if you read 1 Kings 16, you remember that Zimri uh, killed his, his master and all of his, all of his kids, and then he too ended up being killed not too long after that. And so basically what she is saying to him, are you going to kill me? And, you're, and, and pretty soon you're going to die too. Remember that, Yehu, you're coming after me, but your day is coming very shortly. So what she's doing is taunting him by calling him, uh, impersonating Zimri and calling him Zimri because of what Zimri had done and the horrible things that he did. And so... He looked up at the window, there she is in the second or third story of this, of this window, and she's looking out the window, and he says, who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him, and then he said, throw her down. And so they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. Now, you know, this is really hard to see. It's hard to hear, you know, the Bible can be very graphic about things and, um, you know, but it's here. And and, and this is just the the horrible end of a woman who has just left the earth unrepentant. And, and, And the Lord doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. We heard that. God would much rather have had her live. But it's a horrible thing when a human being who has been given so many opportunities to turn and, and, and continues in their stubbornness, in their idolatry, and, and doesn't repent of their sin. It really leaves God no other choice. There comes a time, and I'm so glad that I don't know where that line is. Only God does. And I have, you know, that, that's his business. And, and that ought to bring a gravity to our heart, doesn't it? That, that means that I don't want to, even as a Christian, I, I don't want to be uh, playing loose with sin. I want to take it seriously. I don't, want to, I don't want to do these things against the Lord who gave his life for me. I want to honor him now with this life, don't you? I don't want to be like that old person. If I'm born again, that means that that old nature of mine is gone. I'm not a Jezebel anymore, or a Jezebel, I don't know what they call a guy. Jezebel, Jezebel. I'm not, I'm not that person anymore. 
God has created something new in me and you as well. And he wants us to thrive and to live and to love him and to love others. What a great deal that is. And so hearing about the severe judgment of God is, is a little bit odd for us. But that's the other side of in, intense love is intense judgment. And there's no way around it. So when he had gone in, notice, he trampled her with the horses and then he's hungry. You know, typical man at noontime. He goes in, he eats and he drinks. And he said, now go see to this accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. And therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezreel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field, in the plot at Jezreel, so that they shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. Amazing, isn't it? But, you know, this is just, and now all those prophecies, and uh, 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 feel free to come on up. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll take communion in just a second. But it's just amazing to me how God finally in this chapter at the end, he, he ties up a lot of these prophecies that have been spoken earlier in the book of Kings, and he just ties it up into a nice, actually not a nice little bow, but it's a, he, he fulfills those things specifically and Seriously, he, he fulfills those things. And how does God know what was going to happen to Jezebel? Specifically, he, he could tell the end from the beginning. He, he has that ability, and, and that's the God we serve. And that, that encourages me, doesn't it, you? Because if we're his children, we're no longer enemies of God. We are his servants. We are his beloved We are the church, the bride of Christ. And if he loves us, is there any good thing that he would withhold from us? See, we will never see the judgment of God like this poor woman did. And you know, I think of, of, of her death, how horrible it was, and yet that's not the worst part for her. She suffered a horrible death, and now she's ushered into eternity of suffering. For eternity, do you, do you understand? And, and you and I, all of us here tonight, are here because God has saved us. And he loves us. And even when we mess up, even when we sin, what do we do? We confess it, and we confess it to him, we turn from it, and we move on. And if we fall into it again, what do we do? We confess it, we turn from it, and pretty soon you're going to get tired of confessing and feeling horrible. And you're going to say, I'm done with this, whatever it is. And when you finally get serious and and God gives you that grace, you're going to be out of it, and you're going to be repented. You've repented of whatever it was. And you walk in newness of life. You're not perfect, but you're, you're forgiven by a perfect God, and you're on your way to glory because of the, the blood of Christ. And so that's what we're going to do tonight as we, as we take communion, as, um, as Aubrey leads us in worship. Amen. Jesus, the night that he was taken, remember he was in the upper room, and they had a Passover meal, and Jesus, at one point, he broke the bread, and he says, this is my body broken for you. He says, take and, and, and eat this in remembrance of me. And for the blood and the, that he was going to shed on the cross and for his body that was going to be broken just hours from then, he was already anticipating the covenant being secured. And yet there were so many things that could have happened to prevent that. You remember even Pilate at one time during the trial of Jesus. He says, I find no, nothing wrong with this man. He was 
committed to let him go. And do you think Jesus was going, Oh, no, 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 you have to take me to the cross. <laughs> Today's the day. I have, to, I have to accomplish my Father's will. And yet he didn't say a word because he knew who Pilate was. And he knew the events that were going to take place. And he knew there was nothing that was going to keep him. And he didn't have to do a thing. It was The Lord had it all planned. And he did this for us. He did it for you and I. His beloved. You're his beloved. Isn't that wonderful to think of? That he just looks upon you and he sees you as with no spot or blemish. I don't know about you, but that's really refreshing to me. He can look at you regardless of your day, the things that you've said, maybe the things you've even done today. And you know, sometimes you can feel as a Christian like, oh, Lord, I'm just not, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be here tonight. I'm not worthy to even take this cup and this bread. And he said, that's why I did it. <laughs> that's why I did it. I did it freely for you. It's going to cost me everything. And I freely have given my life for you. And that's what these tokens represent. There's nothing magical about them. They're just simply tokens expressing what he did, his body broken. And so let's take the bread. And remember that same night he took the cup and he passed it around. This is the blood of the New Testament in my blood. that hadn't even been shed yet, but it would be hours from then. Let's take it. And you know this, but in the Middle East, one of the most intimate things people can do together is have a meal together. And you know, we're certainly not, we don't have uh, chicken or steak or anything like that tonight, but we're in agreement, aren't we? We're in agreement about what this, about what Jesus did. And we take this in remembrance of his death, that he died for us. What a wonderful thing. Isn't it? Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are very thankful, Lord, that we are in the Beloved. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord. I pray that, Lord, regardless of how they're feeling tonight, regardless of how down they may feel, there may be someone here tonight or um, elsewhere that might be really hurting Lord, feeling like, what's the use? And Lord, you paid the price for us. And, and Lord, I am so thankful that I'll never see a day. The worst that, it, that my life will be is whatever happens on this earth. That, that's the worst it's going to get for us. And Lord, but for others who don't know you, that's not going to be the case. And so, Father, help us to remember what Christ did for us and be willing to share that message. Lord, especially today, especially now in America, when so many people are hurting and the, the country splintered and fragmented, Lord, we need to love on people regardless of anything, Lord, because we are all in the same boat. We need you, Jesus. So encourage our hearts with that tonight, Lord, and send us out tomorrow, wherever we're at in our workplace, wherever we're at in school. Lord, help us to be that light unto you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings.
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.